Great to be with you guys again in 2024. And we are going to start a new series for the year looking at the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke has three sec- or four sections. Uh, the first section is well known. It's the, the birth of Jesus. The second section talks about the ministry of Jesus. What did he do? The third section focuses on the teachings of Jesus. What did he say? And that is what we are going to dive into together over the next couple of months. What are the teachings of Jesus? Sorry, this thing keeps falling off. There we go. What, are the, what did he say? And the context for this passage of scripture is really interesting. Uh, it's uh, Jesus and his disciples on the road to Jerusalem. So you can imagine Jesus with his crew walking long days together on a dirty, dusty road. Any of you guys have ever been on a really long road trip? Maybe for you it's like the subway to the Upper West Side. You're like, no, it's just, no. It, and on these long road trips, like if you're with a group of friends, you're sitting in the car and you start philosophizing, you start asking the deep questions about life and relationships and, you know, how does the duck hunt gun work in the old Nintendo? Think about that. But that's what Jesus is doing. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He's with his disciples, and what an opportunity for them to learn about the big questions of God and life and purpose and ethics. And as we begin this road trip, which we're going to be on with Jesus over the next couple of months, the first stop is Samaria. And if you have read the scriptures before, you know that Samaria, Samaria, where the Samaritans lived, they're mortal enemies of the Jews. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. They wished ill upon each other. They disagreed about how to do life and how to do faith. If they were to come across each other, it wasn't a friendly encounter. So it's interesting, the first stop in the road trip with Jesus is Samaria, because Jesus has some really important teachings to get across about how to treat your enemies. How do we treat those with whom we disagree? How do we treat those who are different from us? How do we treat people who are hurting, especially if those people are not just like us? So Jesus begins his teachings on the topic of mercy. Mercy. And it's fascinating how relevant that topic is today. We live in a culture that's largely void of mercy. We've lost what it means to show mercy to someone else. And we've largely lost the ability to even receive mercy from others. We live in a divided We live divided in our various echo chambers, unable to sympathize, love, and serve those with whom we disagree. We know how to tear down, but do we know how to restore? We know how to lecture, but do we know how to listen? We know how to cancel, but do we know how to serve? The questions that were facing Jesus' disciples as they walked through Samaria are some of the very same questions that we have to wrestle with today as disciples of Jesus. 
questions about mercy. What is it, and how do we actually practice it? So if you have your scripture, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place where he, and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right, so let's begin with this question. What is mercy? What is mercy? How do, how do we use the word in our current uh, context? Like, how do we use it in day-to-day life? In, in my um, mind, when I think of the topic of mercy, I think about when I was in Little League Baseball. And the other team was crushing you, and they got above like 10 runs ahead of you, and they canceled the game. You guys know what I'm talking about? They call it the mercy rule, right? As if that were to help you somehow, right? Like, we're getting beat so badly, they just called off the game. Or I think about, um, like when I was wrestling with my friends when I was a kid, and your friend has you in a headlock, right? You, they, don't, they won't stop the headlock until you say... Uncle, yeah, exactly. No, mercy. <laughs> or I think about the scenes in the movie where the, the bad guy gets caught and he's standing before the good guy and he's begging him for mercy, kind of like Scar in front of Simba, in front of the flames at the end of The Lion King. I beg you, have mercy on me. But when Jesus talks about mercy, what's he talking about? If you notice in the story... The text says that all three people, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, all saw the hurting man. So the man was on the road. He had been attacked by robbers. He had been beaten, and he had been left half dead. And Jesus says clearly, the priest saw him. The Levite saw him. The Samaritan saw him. But something happened with the Samaritan that didn't happen with the other two. There was mercy. Look at verse 33. It says, he came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds. You see, mercy has two primary components. You have compassion, 
and then you have action. So we're going to look at this like an equation. Mercy equals compassion plus action. That seems like a pretty simple equation, right? Okay, that's easy. We can handle that in 2024. Compassion plus action. But when we begin to actually work this out in practice, when we begin to actually try to live this out, it doesn't feel so simple. It feels more like this. Show me the weird picture. There we go. Right? It's like, how do I do this? This is too complicated. This is too difficult. This is hard. So let's break it down a little bit. We start with compassion. When the Samaritan saw this guy on the side of the road, he felt something. And it's a really interesting word in the Greek. The, the Greek word refers to the bowels of a person. What's in the, the, your gut that rises up. In the ancient world, it was the way people explained what was in your innermost core. And for this man, when he saw the hurting person, it was compassion spilling out of his guts. Literally, what the text says. It's interesting. I mean, the, the Samaritan had no reason to care for this person on the road. This was likely, uh, in this, the way Jesus tells the story, a Jew, a Samaritan caring for a Jew. And he felt compassion. He didn't feel bitterness. He didn't feel indifference. He didn't feel hate. He didn't feel like, well, he probably deserved it. You know, this word compassion is the word used in the scriptures most often to describe how Jesus himself felt. So we think, how was Jesus Christ feeling when he was on planet Earth? Well, the scriptures say he felt a lot of compassion. As he traveled around and he looked at hurting people and every stop he went, he wasn't indifferent. Who cares? He wasn't angry. Well, Do not care about any. <laughs> I don't care about you, Siri. He wasn't indifferent towards the hurting person. He wasn't angry. He wasn't bitter. He felt something in his core, at his heart. If you cut him open, it was compassion. And we notice another detail in this text that when the Levite saw the man, he went to the other side of the road. When the priest saw the man, he went to the other side of the road, but the text said the Samaritan went to him. He got close enough to see, close enough to feel, close enough for his bowels to warm up with compassion, proximity, breeds compassion, being with them, joining the man on the road in the ditch. I love the way Brian Loritz says it. Proximity breeds empathy. Distance breeds suspicion. Oh, if we are going to be people of compassion and mercy, we have to have proximity with people who are hurting, people who are different than us, because as we remain distant, distant, our suspicions about them will grow. Well, who knows the life choices they're making? They probably brought this on themselves. 
gosh, those people, man, over there, they're not like us. But as you get closer and closer and nearer and nearer, you begin to humanize them. You begin to see that, in fact, they're not much different than you and your family. We love to maintain a distance from the hurting and then share platitudes and give advice. Right? Like, hey, can I just, like, remain a cool distance away and I'll just kind of lob truth grenades your way? We'll give you the silver lining. I'll put a positive spin on your bad situation. Samaritan did not do that. He didn't try to put a silver lining around the man's problem. Well, hey, man, at least you're not fully dead. You're only half dead. Glass is half full, my guy. At least you didn't lose everything. At least you made it this far. Have you thought about getting out there and really, you know, getting motivated? You know, my friend fell into a ditch with robbers, and they called this person, and they really helped. Maybe you could do that. No, he didn't remain distant, throwing platitudes and advice. He got close, and he began to feel something in his innermost gut, and that what he felt was compassion. Proximity breeds empathy. As we get close enough to feel, our hearts begin to burn. But here's where the equation gets even more difficult. What happens when we do feel that? What do we do? Well, we have to go to action. Let's say we do feel compassion and empathy. How, how do we go about helping someone who's hurting? Maybe it's someone in our, on our block. Maybe it's somebody in our family. Maybe it's somebody in our building. Maybe it's somebody at our workplace. Maybe it's your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad, someone who's very close to you. Maybe it's somebody you don't know at all who's just on the side of the street and you come across them for the first time. How do we go about showing mercy? What action do we take? Well, Jesus helps us. He first addresses the question of who. Who are we to help? You see, the lawyer asked the question, who is my neighbor? And that's the question we often ask, isn't it? Hey, um, listen, I'm not trying to be like an A-plus disciple. I'm not like a Navy SEAL disciple. What's the lowest bar, Jesus? <laughs> like, I just want to get in. Who's my neighbor? Because surely you don't mean all these people. Because there's a lot of people on my block, in my building, who have a lot of needs. Surely you don't mean all of them, Jesus, so who really is my neighbor? And the way Jesus tells a story, what he's doing is he's reversing the roles. You see, the Jew, who was the, the lawyer, he's not the hero in the story. Jesus puts him as the one suffering on the side of the road. The hero in the story is the Samaritan, the one that the lawyer would have hated. And what Jesus is doing is he's humanizing the suffering person. In Jesus' story, the suffering person was the one that the lawyer could identify with the most. The suffering person was the one that was just like him. You see, dehumanization is the seed of every form of exploitation. It's when we fail to see the image of God in another person. It's so easy just to pass them by. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans, as I said, were bitter enemies. They hated each other. 
hated each other. But in the story, it was a Samaritan who had to cross over cultural, religious, and ethnic lines to help the Jew who was in need. See, action requires us to rehumanize people that have been dehumanized, seen less than the image of God, seen less than us, seen less than our family, seen less than image bearers. It's hard to have mercy for people who are different from us. I think about when I hear about another pastor in the city who's suffering. It is so easy for me to sympathize. I mean, I have so much compassion. It's so easy for me to to help. Why? I get it. I understand where he's coming from. I'm right there with you, man. I think about a lady who used to stand on my block she lived between my, or she would stand between my apartment and the church, so I'd pass her maybe four or five times a day. She would stand out there asking for $2. Can I have $2? Can I have $2? Can I have $2? She asked me over and over and over again. I bet she asked me hundreds of times. She was very easy to pass by, I have to be honest. Until I learned that she was a mom the same school that my kids went to. I saw her at pickup. And all of a sudden, my categories were blown about who she was and who she wasn't. In that moment, she was humanized to me again. She wasn't the lady on the corner asking for $2. She was the mother of a girl at my kid's school. She was just like me. And my heart began to shift. I love the way Raleigh Sadler says this. He said, dehumanization, the active refusal to recognize the image of God in others is at the heart of every form of exploitation. Although it's especially obvious in the commercial sex and labor trade, where the individual is seen merely as a commodity to be bought and sold, we show that the seeds of dehumanization live in our own hearts every time we ignore the image of God in our neighbors. So who? Jesus says, don't limit the who. Second, when. When do we step up and help? You might remember the book that was popular uh, over a decade ago. Uh, It's called When Helping Hurts. And that kind of introduced some categories that, hey, maybe there are ways that help that actually are not so helpful. Maybe there's ways that we step up to give that actually hurt. What if we have good intentions, but they're actually not helping the people in need? And that is, of course, true. But Jesus, that's not the point Jesus is making. He wants to actually tear down the excuses that we have. Well, I want to help people when I know they're good people. Or when I know the situation was not because of their own sin. Or because I know that the person is not going to get back in that situation after I just help them. Get out of it. You see, the Samaritan, based on the worldview in the first century, the Samaritan would have assumed that the guy on the side of the road deserved what he got. That's the way they viewed God. Something bad happened to you? Well, that's your own fault. Jesus wants to break down the win of when we help people. Not just when they're stand-up citizens, not when they don't deserve it, not when, not just when um, something bad has happened that's of their, no, of the, their own, not, not their own problem. 
Third category is how much. Okay, Jesus, let's be reasonable here, man. Like, I got limited resources, I got limited time, I got my own issues, I got my own problem, I'm barely struggling to get by myself. And you're telling me to go out here and have mercy on all these other people who are struggling and hurting? Like, how much, Jesus, are you really asking of me? And once again, Jesus' answer is difficult. The Samaritan takes great personal um, risk to help the man. The Jews at the time would have known the setting that Jesus was talking about. There was a very famous road that robbers often hid and would attack people. So for the Samaritan to stop and help the man, he was taking personal risk. And then he uses his own time to stop and help the man. Then he's using his own resources to bandage the man. Then he's placing the man on his own donkey and taking him to the end, which he's covering with his own money, and then he's going to actually pay for the care after he left, and then he's going to come back and make sure everything is good at the end. The point Jesus is making is that he's going to pay whatever it costs. He's going to, he's going to say that this is a radical type of costliness with great sacrifice and great risk. So who? There are no limits to who is your neighbor. It's anyone who's in need. When? It's not just when the person um, is not at fault. How much? Well, as much as it costs. And then we get, when we get to that, and if you're like me, you begin to feel that burden. You're like, this is difficult. This is hard. Like, how do we practically do it? Which leads to our second question. Let's get practical. Like, what do we actually do? How can we show mercy? It's one of these teachings that Jesus has that feels impossible to live out. So practically, let's break this down. First, mercy and boundaries go together. You can take a little bit of a deep breath. Not every problem is your problem. Amen? Not every problem is your problem. That's not mercy, that's arrogance. Jesus is the savior of the world, not you and not me, not Crossroads Christian Church. My pastor used to always say, not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it. Not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it. You guys are a body. You work together. You're not the only person out here trying to have mercy and help people. God is in charge. He is caring for people. He's going to use you. He's going to use your neighbor. He's going to use your friend. He's going to use your brother. He's going to use your sister. But at the same time, when we do engage with a hurting person, we need to know where we end and where they begin. We can't get so tangled up that 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 distinction gets too blurry. Even in this passage, we get a boundary. Did you notice the boundary? The Samaritan has to leave the man. He does what he can, above and beyond what he can, and then he leaves. That's a boundary. Mercy and boundaries go together. Second, we learn that mercy and burdens go together. Often, we want to help a hurting person without it hurting us. 
right? We want to, is it possible, we think, can we, can we carry someone else's burden without feeling like we're carrying a burden, right? Is there a way for me to give and not feel it? I don't got time for that. I don't got money for that. Got too many issues for that. But if you think about what Paul said when he commanded the church to bear one another's burdens, it's an interesting metaphor. That the fact that when you actually, when you are engaging with a hurting person, you are in effect taking some of that pain, some of the hurt, some of the heavy weight, and you are actually taking it on yourself. How do you know that you're doing that? You feel it. Have you ever carried a heavy object and not felt it? You ever had to carry a couch up to a, a fourth story walk up? You feel that. You're gonna have to make some sacrifices to give up something you love, maybe. Give up some precious time, some precious resources. You're gonna feel it. The burden is real. So, yes to the boundary but also yes to carrying the burden. But as Christians, let me just say this very quickly, as Christians, we are very well equipped to do this because this is what Jesus did for us. This is the gospel. Pastor Kyle read it as we started the service. This is what Jesus does for us. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. I will carry your burdens. This is the good news of the gospel. It's that you actually and me, we were the ones on the side of the road bleeding out. Then Jesus came by and he didn't go around, but he came near. And he didn't just drop a few bucks on us and say, good luck. No, Jesus actually had deep compassion for us all the way to the cross where he said, I will take up the cost in full. What's it going to take for you to get off the road? What's it going to take you to get out of the ditch? I will pay the full thing. That is the cross where he says, all of the payment, it's done. I covered it. And because he did that for us, he offers us mercy. And because he offers us mercy, we have the resources to give mercy to others. Because he's carrying our burdens, we are able to carry others' burdens. He's the savior, not us. He gives us the resources we need to pour out for others. He doesn't just give us the commands, he gives us the power to obey the commands. And that's the beauty of grace and the gospel. We could talk about it all afternoon. Finally, mercy and being go together. So mercy and boundaries, yes. Mercy and burdens, yes. But mercy and being. Being people of mercy is not primarily about what you do. Even though, yes, it's an action, yes, it's a command, yes, it's something we go out there in the community and we do, yes, but not first. First, it's about who we are. It's about the people we are. And before this passage, I wanted to read it, but we don't have time. 
Before this passage, what happened was Jesus had 72 disciples and he sends them out into the community. He says, listen, I need you to go out with the message of the gospel. You're going out on mission. Ready? One, two, three, break. And they go out. And they're out there ministering to people, and they come back, and they're fired up. The disciples are high five, and they're like, can you believe this, Jesus? I mean, we were out there, and demons were submitting to us. I mean, we were crushing it out there, Jesus. You should have seen us. Listen to Jesus' response. This is Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, disciples, that the spirits are subject, subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> Isn't that odd? Isn't that amazing? Of all the things that we think we can do for Jesus, we, we like Crosser would be like high-fiving. Like, man, we were out there. We were crushing it, man. We were out there in the community, and people were loving it. And Jesus is like, yeah, like, I'm like really excited for that as well. But how pumped are you that your names are written in heaven? Like, how much do you dwell on the fact that you are called a son or a daughter of the living God? How much does it mean to you that you are a person who has received the magnanimous grace and mercy of the God of the universe? What does that mean to you? Does that thrill your heart? Man, rejoice in that, Jesus says. You're not valuable to me because what you can do for me, God says. Oh, but I see you, and I came for you, and I've written your names in heaven. And I want you to think about how glorious that is, that if you are in Christ, your names are written in heaven that cannot be erased. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. You have been drawn in first and foremost, and then you are sent out. You are one who has received mercy, so you have the power to go and give mercy. I was thinking about one of my favorite books this week. It's by a guy named Sheldon Van Auken. He wrote a book called A Severe Mercy, in a sequel called Under the Mercy. And he was talking about, he was a professor at a small, town, a small college in Virginia. His wife had passed away, and he was talking about, he would have students over to this room on campus with a fireplace and beautiful books all around the shelves, and they sit around the fire, and they would pray, and they would read scripture, and they'd read poetry, and there's this beautiful moments of, of fellowship. And as they were leaving, he said their tradition was to say this, Good night. Go under the mercy. Good night. Go under the mercy. It was their way of propelling the community out into their vocations in the world. Go under the mercy. You leave this place covered. You leave this place loved. You leave this place secure in your father's hand, in his grasp, and nothing can rip you from his hold. Go under the mercy. You are a son. You are a daughter of the living God who has received mercy. Now you go and give mercy. And I'll land the plane. But the point Jesus is making to the lawyer is the same point he wants to make to us. 
What would it look like for you to be a person of mercy? What would it look like for you to wrestle with the question, who is my neighbor? As you go into this year, which side of it would you say you're struggling with? Is it compassion? You're like, man, my heart's grown cold. I have no, really no space in my heart for anybody else's, no one, no one else's issues, honestly. And maybe you're going to ask God to show you his compassion and let it fuel you. Or maybe you're saying, no, I, I legitimately feel it, but I just have no space in my calendar, in my life. I have no margin to serve those around me. Maybe that's the area today that God wants to work. But what would it look like for Crossroads Christian Church to be people of mercy in this community, in South Brooklyn, and Bay Ridge? What would it look like for you to be a person of mercy in your family this year, in your workplace? Maybe when your coworkers, the vindictive type, Maybe when the people in your family are always trying to point out the ways that you wronged them. How can you step up and be that person of mercy? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your mercy. And we are those this afternoon who are under the mercy. We rest covered, secure in the gospel and the good news in the cross of Christ that covers us. May we receive it and may we give it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.